Hey lovelies, before we really get into things, a quick bit of information that is not nearly as important as what we're going to be talking about today. The black and teal flutter dresses are now available at impactfashionnyc.com. These are the two newest colors of my best-selling summer staple piece. The flutter dress has a soft gathered neckline, a flutter sleeve with a built-in shelf for elbow coverage, and a soft flared skirt. The whole dress is made of a cotton gauze and lined with soft jersey. It literally feels like wearing your favorite t-shirt. And yes, even in black, it's still a soft, light, and floaty piece. There's still time to get your flutter dresses before Shavuos, so learn more and shop sizes 2 through 24 at impactfashionnyc.com. Now on to the important stuff. This is the final episode in a four-part series exploring domestic abuse and abusive divorce practices in the Orthodox Jewish community. The episodes each stand alone and do not need to be listened to in the order that I release them. However, if you missed my conversations with Keshet star of Ora Aguno, Dr. Shana Friedman of Shalom Task Force, or Bayeris, I do recommend that you give them a listen at some point. Together, all four of these conversations provide a really full look at this issue. With all of the movement that has been happening to help Agunos, I got to thinking about the bigger picture issues that create these problems. We know that an Aguna, a woman unable to get out of a marriage because her husband will not grant her a divorce, is never created in a vacuum. Get refusers are abusers, and refusing to grant the get is not the first type of abusive behavior they exhibit. The goal of this series is to zoom out and explore the issues. We'll get first world perspectives, talk about prevention, and examine what the Jewish divorce process is like and where it can and does go wrong. If at any point during listening to this series, you find yourself relating to anything being discussed, you recognize a pattern in your own relationships or maybe those of a friend or family member, I urge you to reach out for help. You deserve to be treated properly and you deserve to be safe. The National Domestic Abuse Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE, and Shalom Task Force can be reached at 718-337-3700. You can also text or WhatsApp Shalom Task Force at 888-883-2323. Both services are free. Both are completely confidential and open 24-7. Both are available to listen if you believe there might be a problem. There are many types of abuse and there does not need to be a black eye for a relationship to be abusive. If you are concerned that your internet or phone usage may be monitored, please take extra precautions like using private mode, frequently clearing your browser history, and saving the hotline numbers in your phone under a generic name. With the sincerest hope that you never need it, and that those who already do or will are truly listening. Let's get to the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with the only female Toenis about how she got into her unusual line of work. She shares what a based-in procedure looks like, where the system can go wrong, how to protect yourself from abusive partners, and when based-in does and doesn't have legal muster. Yao Braun is my kind of person. 
an expert in her field who is not afraid to let you know exactly how good she is. Yael is a fierce advocate for her clients in the opaque Jewish court or beast in system. But how exactly does that system work? If I choose to absolve my marriage today, what exactly would that process look like? Yael walks us through it all. I was um, extremely, I was a big worry work. Um, I definitely internalized everything around me. Um, I was also, I was, I was, <laughs> I was not shy. I was always, you know, out there um, and down to party. Like as a little kid, I was always ready to have a fun time. Um, but I was definitely a worry wart. Um, and I definitely internalized everything. So what, do you think that that was something that you still like keep with you now, or is that something that you grow out of it? Oh yeah. I have, I have, I have not, I have not progressed since I was six years old. Anyone will tell you, I'm still an absolute worry wart. Um, but only, I actually remember my second grade teacher looking at me and saying, don't be such a worry wart. You have such a sour face on. And I remember it was because my brother went to the nurse's office. Um, no, it has not changed. I'm still an absolute worry wart, but instead of being worried about my brother going to the nurse's office, um, you know, I'm worried about my clients, um, my family, but I do the worrying so no one else has to worry. You know, I take all of that and put it on my shoulders so they no longer have to carry it. And it's my pleasure and something I want to do. Um, and I think that's what makes me very good because I use my, my worry wartness, <laughs> um, and look at it, okay, if this doesn't work, if this strategy doesn't work, then this other strategy will work. And I think of every single thing that could go wrong and I use it to my advantage to make my plan A, plan B, plan Z, and I got all the way to Z. Um, but that's what makes me good because I have a plan for every scenario. Best case, worst case, and all of them in between. Yeah, that I can totally see how that comes uh, into help with your work. And um, for anyone who, I, I became aware of you recently. Um, everyone is probably aware of the uh, the free Hava situation and the Aguna situation that has been getting so much needed airtime, including this series that we're doing. Um, and uh, I, you are a Toenis. So what I'd love for you yeah. to do is tell me uh, what, the, first tell me what that is. Cause I did not know that that was a thing until I first heard about you. Um, and also how you, like, what made you want to do this? Okay, so a Tawanis is really, for a lack of a better word, it's a lawyer, but not a lawyer. It's a non-lawyer. <laughs> it's somebody who represents you, but only in the Jewish courts. So it's not like they can represent you in a civil matter or any in any secular matter. I'm not an attorney, but I do litigate and represent my clients in Besden. Um, Usually it's called a towing. Um, it's what, as you know, I, it's usually a man who does it. I'm actually the first towenist, which is the feminine of a towing, um, in America. It does exist in Israel, but not in America. So I'm the, the one and the only. Right. And, and yeah, Hebrew is one of those fun languages that has different right. feminine and masculine versions of things. So when I say that you're a Toeness, the S at the end um, connotates that that you are female, which that, which that you are. Female, right. Um, and um, and usually we hear of a Toeing. I did actually not. I actually did not even know that there was such a thing as a lawyer in a Jewish court um, oh. until, yeah, I did not know that that was a thing. I was familiar somewhat with the Jewish court system. And I always thought of it as like, you know, 
three rabbis in a shul who decide stuff. And my grandfather was someone who sat on a lot of, of bastions and a lot of Jewish courts. And, and he would, you know, especially in his retirement, he would frequently like get called in an afternoon and be like, okay, someone's having this kind of a dispute. Can you come? And he'd be like, sure. And he would come and, you know, help people with, you know, all their different things. And, um, but I didn't realize that in those situations, there is even someone acting as a lawyer in, in a lawyer role. I didn't realize that that was something that, right. that was even there. Um, and I think that part of that is because the Jewish court system is really opaque. It's not something like everyone's seen law and order. If I needed to go to court to sue someone civilly, I feel like I would know what would happen. Probably law and order is not so accurate, but I feel like I would at least have kind of a basic outline of, you know, there, there might be a jury, there might be, there would be a judge, there would be a bailiff. You know, basically what to expect. Right. Like I've seen enough episodes of Judge Judy to know how this rolls. Um, (laughs) No one went to law school with my uncle, by the way. Really? Yeah. fact. Go figure. Right. But like, if I had to go to civil court, I feel like I would know a little bit about what to do. If I had to go to Jewish court to Basedin, I would have no idea what to do. So I'm so curious right. to know what, how did you even, how did you even get involved in this? What made you even decide that this was something that you wanted to do? So it's actually, I always laugh when I get this question because it's, it's everything and nothing at the same time. Um, when I got divorced, okay, backtrack. My father's an attorney. Um, I worked for him as a paralegal for a very long time. Um, he has his own law firm. He is a very well-established, well-known guy. Um, and I've always looked up to him. I always thought I was going to go to law school. It was always something that was, that was the goal. Take over the Abramson Law Group. Abramson's my maiden name. Um, I was a paralegal. I got married very young, got divorced very young. It was just not, I have a special needs son. He has autism. It was just not going, it wasn't going my way. Um, and I was very happy with that. I was actually, you know, I said, how can I be a mother um, and a single mom and be an attorney or go to law school. For me, it just felt like it wasn't realistic. So when I got divorced at 23, a lot of people, you know, when you get divorced, you make friends who are divorced, you know, that becomes your circle because no one really understands the hell you're going through unless they've gone through it or going through it. Um, so they would say, you know, your, your divorce was, you know, pretty chick chock. What did you do? You know, you work in a law firm. Maybe you know. Maybe you know the laws through osmosis because you're a dad. Could you explain what this and this means? Or you know, yeah, I'm very anxious and I don't know what this and this means. Could you explain it to me? And I loved it because number one, it gave me a purpose other than just you know being a paralegal. But also, I really enjoyed helping people. It was something that I saw that I was making them feel more comfortable because I was explaining it in layman's terms. I wasn't explaining it like I was speaking to another paralegal or speaking to an attorney. I was able to make it into bite-sized pieces. Um, And it kind of snowballed. It just went from me helping a friend that I met at an event to helping that friend's cousin's cousin. You know, it it just, it, it snowballed. So then I, it just kept going and going and going. And I was always helping people. I was doing it just as a mitzvah. It was something I really enjoyed. Um, And it kind of followed me. And then I got remarried about five years ago um, and it was just getting more and more and more. Um, And then it came to a point where my husband said, you know, you need to pick one. You could either help these people, predominantly women, or you can just do paralegal, you know, paralegal-ing, that's a word, um, full-time, but you can't do both. And I said, you know what, you're right. So I said, am I really doing this though? Like what woman does this? And what would I call myself? 
at that point, I wasn't arguing in Besden. I was more going as like an advocate. Um, my, and my husband said, of course you could do it. Well, what do you mean? Who else could do it? So I spoke to my parents who always, you know, they're famous for telling me like it is. And they're like, go for it. I, I can't believe no one thought about this before. Then I spoke to a few Rabunum um, that my father, you know, my father's close with a lot of these guys because of his line of work. And they all were extremely supportive. So then um, I had a girl that I was more advocating for and, <clears throat> excuse me, and I went with her to Besden and the rule was there was going to be no towing and no attorneys. And I was just like an advocate. I wasn't a towinist. Um, and I really saw that the other side was being very nasty and she wasn't even like able to speak. It was almost as if she was told to sit down and shut up. So of course, <laughs> I decided to, to, to put my two cents, no more, my, my, my 10 cents in. The way it works in Hasidish Bezins in general is everyone screams. And whoever could scream the loudest really is what the Bezdin, the Dayanim listened to. Obviously, you have to have a strategy. Obviously, you have to- When you to... say scream, do you mean physically yelling? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it's full on. Oh, Okay. Yeah, just, yeah, they're actually just screaming. Oh, yeah, they're screaming. It's great. I love it. Um, and I wish I was joking. It's actually very fun to me. Um, and if I show my clients how it could be funny and almost comical, you know, we enjoy ourselves. Right. Um, and so, of course, I, I went in the ring and I started, you know, really, quote unquote, advocating for my client. And I have the video somewhere of my husband taped it because he thought it was just hilarious. Um, the other side goes, you are a lawyer. You are a Tawenis. It was like the Salem witch trials. You know, I was like, you're the witch. You're a witch. <laughs> I was ready, ready to be, you know, hanged. Which by the way, I actually, I'm a complete grammar nerd. I always thought it was hung, but when it comes to hanging, it's hanged. Just it is hanged. That's true. You hung, if you say that you were hanging up a phone, I hung up the phone, but right. if you, but, but if you if killed you a person, someone, that's, that's true. right. This is true. I, I am an, I am equally a grammar nerd. Okay, good. So you understand the excitement yes. that I got to say hanged. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so they kept saying, you know, you're a lawyer, you're, you're, you're an attorney, you are a Tawanis. And I, I looked at them and go, hmm, <laughs> what's a Tawanis? So the, of Besden, the, the, of Diane, the, the, you know, the guy the, who's in charge. The guy who's in charge of the three Dianum, he said, you know, it's not fair to the other side. We have to give the other side an opportunity to hire a towing or an attorney. Um, and then we'll come back. So we're tabling this session. And I'm looking around and I'm like, what just happened? So I said to this Rav, I said, listen, I'm really not an attorney. Um, my father's an attorney. I'm extremely flattered, but I'm not. He goes, well, then you're a Tawanis. And I said, I, I'm not a Tawanis. I, I, I thought that you can't be, I, I'm not a man, you know? And he said, well, listen, I actually said, you're a towing. And I said, I'm not a man, because you're a Tawanis. I said, like, don't you need to do something for that? He's like, listen, either got it or you don't, and you got it. And you're a Tawanis. And after this very big Hasidish rub who, you know, has Hasidim and, and had the chef's pants, as I call them, and, you know, the socks. And if someone like him started calling me, the the Tawanis and he and and I spoke to him at length about it and he kept pushing me and he thank God has been very good to me and a lot of these robots have been very good to me about pushing me along um 
I, I've been very lucky and that's really how this whole thing started. Um, and, I, and they've all been very, they've been incredible to me. And they all feel that, you know, their words are that women deserve women to help them. And no one could comfort a woman like a woman can. And that has been, it's been since that moment, my life really changed. How long and ago was it, that? A while ago already. Not to, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Times are not my thing. Um, but quite a while ago. Okay. Um, the thing that I got lucky with, it, it, it's almost like my whole life prepared me to do this because my parents got divorced so at a young age, not young, but I'm saying as, you know, from a teenager, I got to see what, how it affected, you know, children to working in my dad's firm and seeing my father litigate and hold depositions and see how he um, commands the room from, you know, cause he is a litigator from, you know, kind of learning this stuff as helping people go through their, their divorce. So I knew the terminology from someone who loves to learn and is very into halacha, you know, all of that. It, it's almost like it was like a package that was set up for me. And I feel very lucky because I always wanted to, I always thought like, what is my passion? What do I want to be when I grow up? I mean, as an adult, I would ask myself that my husband said to me one day, you're doing your passion. It never occurred to me that I could do this as a job until I saw that there was a real niche for it and a need, a real need. Yeah. And now I feel very honored and lucky that I get to do this every single day. Yeah, that's 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 a really that's a really special thing to be able to have. So you're so you're in this based in and this big Hasidic rabbi says you're a Toenis. Is there any kind of like, I don't know, like guys have to get smicha? Like, is there any kind of formal education at all or anything like do you have to take no. a driver's test like no there's nothing he just said no. so and then you were yeah so it's a it's a reputation thing entirely correct it's a reputation thing um it's i mean listen you can't walk into a bezin and and represent somebody and not know halacha you just can't right you also can't go in and not know how to how to litigate and, and even you even have to know the truth is you know bezin has you know there's procedures involved. You have to know those procedures. You can't just like walk in and be like, this is how we're doing it. You know, there's, there's a Seder to everything. Right. And that's, that's what I want to talk about. You know, there's you're, exactly what you said. There, there are procedures. Um, and like I said earlier, if I needed to be in Baston for any reason, I would have no idea what to do. There is no judge duty for Baston. So what I want to do now um, is that I want to, I would love for you to let's use the example of a divorce, um, track through what that looks like from I decide to get divorced to that is finalized. So that means that I, as a woman, have a get in hand that I have accepted. Um, and what I want to do is track through what that looks like, what to expect, what could happen, and where that can get derailed, where something um, along those lines can go, you know, can, can go ter terribly wrong. So, you know, I, let's say as a couple, or even let's use something a little bit more contentious. I, as a wife in a marriage, have decided that I no longer want to be married to this man. What do I do next? Okay, so there are a few, you know, this isn't, it's not an easy answer because there's a bunch of different routes you can take. If you're going specifically the Besden route, which isn't always the way to do it, and it really depends on your case. I always have to preface everything I say that, it, it really has to do with a spe the specific case that you're in. I know this is hypothetical and I appreciate that, but you have to understand that it is not one size fits all. So I'm just giving the disclaimer just so you understand. So 
let's say someone you're coming to me as a divorce, you know, you want to get divorced. So I would say to you, um, there's a lot of conversations that happen. We discuss financial, we discuss that. But if we're just discussing procedure, I would send a hasmana. A hasmana is is like an invitation to Besden. It's a um, it's like serving. If you would, you could equate it to serving papers. Um, so I would call the Besden of my choice um, that I feel would be best for your case. Um, and I would call the Manal, the secretary, the administrator, um, and say, I would like to send a husband on behalf of my client, so-and-so, um, here's the information, here you go. And they would send, usually the way they do it now is they send a hard copy to the, to the address and they send an email. They have, they would, and this person has the opportunity to respond. The recipient. So let's say the, the, the guy in, in our case. The guy. Okay. Um, let's say he doesn't respond. So you wait two weeks and you send another husmana. And then let's say he doesn't respond to the second husmana. You send a third husmana. Um, if he does not respond to that third husmana, the Bezdin sends out something called a siruv. A siruv is basically letting the community know that this man is not showing up to Besdin. And there are a few different Jewish laws, halachas, that um, come with that, how we have to treat this person. This man is not allowed to be in a minion, meaning he can't pray with everybody else. Um, he can't be, food can't be served to him. Um, there's few, a few specific laws that we have to treat somebody who has a siruv. Now that is the worst case scenario. We don't want that to happen. So the other scenario is you send a husmana, um, your husband, the husband, um, replies to the husmana, you make a date and you go to court, um, to Bezin. The other husband, now the other scenario, this is more or less the last scenario is he gets the husband receives a husmana and he doesn't want to go to this Bezin. So he has to give three options of three different Besdins. And if my side is not happy with any of those Besdins, we do something called a Zabla. A Zabla is when I pick a Dayan, a buyer, a judge, he picks one and the, and the two Dayanam pick a third. Oh, and that you like assemble, a fair system. Right. And you assemble your own Besdin. A DIY Besdin. Um, I kind of like it. A DIY, a DIY, put it on Pinterest. Yeah, exactly. We're selling it on Etsy, everybody. It's handmade. <laughs> oh, that's okay. So I just want to make sure that I'm tracking this properly. So we have our worst okay. case scenario, which is that we send out the husmanas. Um, you know, the 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 other person doesn't respond. The the husband in our theoretical scenario doesn't respond. Um, repeatedly does not respond, and then you get to a zero. That's when you're getting blanket nothing. Sometimes you mm -hmm. can get a response, but the response is, I don't like what the, I don't like that based in. Let's go to this based in. And Correct. Well, they give three options, and if um, the wife doesn't like any of those options, then you kind then you DIY it. Um, right. So, <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use that, by the way. It's it's exactly what you just described. We assemble a basin. It seems like a fair, you know, a, a basin has three judges on it. So I pick right. one, you pick one, and they pick the third. Seems like you would end up with something pretty, pretty fair. So then, yes. you know, we get everyone in the room. We're in, you know, we, we've got either our DIY basin or something that everybody else picked. Um, what What happens then? So you go into the room. Usually it's three Rabbanim, 
three dianum, three rabbis. We sit at a long table. This is usually what it looks like. And we sit at one table and the other side sits at the other table beside each other, obviously with a space in between. Um, sometimes it's like a ches. Um, a, a U-shape. A U-shape. And, and so they sit um, at the connection of the the bottom U-shape, of the U. The yeah. bottom of the U. Then we sit, meaning us and the other parties sit facing each other. It really depends on the setup of the Jesden. But yeah, more or less, that's what it looks like. And whoever um, summoned the whoever whoever is the plaintiff, I guess you could say, who summoned the the other party, um, they start they start with opening their opening remarks, their opening statements, and then the other side says their statements, and it goes <clears throat> excuse me back and forth. And depending on which bezin, a Hasidic bezin, there's usually a lot of screaming. Um, Sometimes it's very mellow and it, that stuff doesn't fly. Um, but, you know, embezzling can get nasty. You know, there are a lot of hurling insults, um, a lot of screaming. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I love it. There's a lot of breaks. People take breaks for mincha, mariv sometimes if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, the men always have smoke breaks. <laughs> There's always something. <laughs> right. So, so you get there and, and each side, I, I assume, presents their case. Correct. So, and then after, you know, she says, I want to get a divorce. He says, let's say I don't want to get a divorce. Then what happens? So usually they, so, so usually what they do is the, the Benson doesn't want people to get divorced. No one wants couples to get divorced, which is actually a problem that I have, um, which we can get to, you know, more into if you want to, but, um, the Bezdin usually wants to push for Shalom Bias. Shalom Bias is when you try and work it out. So if there has not been a marriage therapist, a marriage counselor who has been involved, then they usually make them go to a marriage counselor first. And then the marriage counselor consults with the Bezdin and says, you know, either there's nothing to do. This is, you know, done. This, you know, marriage is, you know, finished. Um, Whereas then the Bezin will arbitrate or negotiate and mediate. Um, and if not, you know, if a therapist says, listen, I think there's what to work with here, then the Bezin will push, you know, six months of, of therapy and then see where you're holding. Um, and that's usually what it looks like. Okay. I want to revisit that in a minute. Um, mm-hmm. cause I just want to finish this. I knew story you would want through. to. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I, I want to revisit that in a second. Cause I just want to finish this through line through assuming that we get everybody to the table, that we go through, we jump through all the hoops, we get everyone, everyone to the table, and then we're, you know, we're getting divorced. It's happening. What does that look like in a based-in? Meaning, um, what does what does the, you know, if if let's say you they go to they go to that counselor and the marriage therapist says this is not gonna work, they do that, let's say for six months, and then but they, this is only if they hadn't already seen a marriage counselor while the, you know. Right. I'm saying, I'm saying they, they've, okay. they jumped through, they've done all of that. They've jumped through all those okay. hoops. Um, it is decided that, that we are going to get divorced. Let's assume for this part of the situation that both parties are okay with that. Is that just a formality at that point? You go to based in, he hands her the get and then we're done. No, 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 no. So then they, you know, you have to negotiate, you have to litigate, um, who gets what in terms of property assets, um, visitation, custody, um, child support, 
it's never cut and dry. There's always, you, you have to go down the list. I mean, marital assets who, you know, do you split it down the middle? Um, child support. Did the husband, is the husband being honest about how much he makes or is he making cash under the table? Um, the cars, the everything. I mean, it can go from the biggest things to jewelry. People have, I've seen people fight over everything. And also some people have also said, you know what, screw it. I don't want nothing to do with this. Just give them everything. I want nothing to do. Right. So if you, the thing that's kind of blowing my mind a little bit is that there are so many opportunities for this to get messed up. There are so many opportunities. There's so many opportunities for this to get crazy. Let's assume for a second, just to follow this through that you you decide exactly how you're going to divvy everything up. And by the way, the fact that so many women give up an insane amount, um, they give up child support, they give up, they give up alimony, they give up, you know, they give up access to it is, you know, sometimes they will be paying, you know, if the husband will say, you know, give me a million dollars, if you want that, get that. The fact that that happens um, is disgusting. Yeah. It's, I, I don't even have words. It's horrifying. Um, It is abuse. And the, and there should be absolutely no allowance for any of that and any kind of based in um, that calls itself even remotely Jewish or Orthodox. That is unacceptable on every single level. 100%. And I always like to we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, at the same time, we have to be realistic about what space we're in right now in the way of the world. And in some cases, there's no other way. And I am the queen of saying we don't negotiate with terrorists and everyone can go screw themselves. But at the end of the day, do we want to get or do we want to be right? Right, exactly. You have to, you need to, you, and those are decisions that every person can make um, right, in their for own themselves. for themselves. But the fact that that decision needs to be made is something, it's it's yeah, it's something that every, that every single Jewish person should be ashamed of and that everyone has an obligation to fix. Let's put that aside. Agreed. For a Agreed 1 million percent. Thank you for saying that. I could not agree more. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what I just want to do is that I want to follow this through. And then we have so many little bits that we need to, to touch back okay. on. Okay. Let's assume that we, we divide all our assets. It's great then what happens then mazel tov you get your gut then usually they schedule in and you show up to besden um on the day of the get a cipher comes a cipher is someone who actually physically writes the get it's a piece of paper um is that so fair with a hasidish accent that you just said yes yeah okay just checking for anyone who who, because i heard cipher and i thought it was an english word no yeah no 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 no. i apologize (laughs) yeah okay Um, uh, a sofa is a, is a scribe. It's very a common. In, like, so like Torah scrolls and mezuzahs and tefillin and all of those things, anything that's on parchment is written by a sofa. <laughs> I know I have a lot of Hasidic clients, <laughs> a cipher. The cipher. Okay. Either way. <laughs> so the, so the get gets written. That's hilarious. Yes. It gets written. Um, they ask you a bunch of questions, like every single nickname you have, because you know, it has to be done just so. Um, every nickname of your father, um, you know, it has to be really like individualized and customized to you. Um, and then you go into this room full of men and me. Um, and there's a whole gut procedure. Um, you, you walk into this room, there's a bunch of men, you hold out your hands, um, in front of you together. And then your husband drops this folded up piece of paper that get into your hands and then you slowly close your palms together and mazel tov, you're divorced um i'm saying it you know without emotion of what it's really like it is extremely um 
painful to go through it. It is, you feel very vulnerable. You're really an, the only woman in a sea of men. Um, it, it's very hard. It's very hard. Um, when I go with my clients, I try to obviously, um, you know, be sensitive to the seriousness of it. But sometimes it is a party. You know, sometimes we're so excited. You know, we're we're partying. We're excited. Woohoo! You know, we're getting the get. And sometimes it's a more um, depressing, solemn experience. And depending on the person, it's either serious or a party. Um, but it's always very. Um, there's always a, a scary element to it for my clients because you're in a room full of men and you're just kind of sitting there in this vulnerable position with your hands literally out, almost like a beggar, you know, receiving your get. Um, that's why I have never to date missed um, an opportunity to go with my clients to receive the get. It's extremely important to me to always be there for them. Yeah, and and yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And also just you know, it, because the whole procedure is so foreign, um, and thank you for taking us through it all. Um, the, I hope, I hope I did, I explained it well. It's, it's I like, I see did. it in my head and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying I, to I explain it. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. So hopefully everyone okay, else perfect. will. Um, and I think what I want to do is I want to backtrack now. Cause there were, there were several okay. parts in that process where things can go very wrong. So what I want to do yeah. is that, so we've got the basic gist of it is that someone is invited to Paston they show up. We Basedin tries to make this marriage last. It doesn't. They divide the assets and then the get is given. At every single one of those steps, there is the opportunity for abuse to occur. Um, there is the opportunity for manipulation to occur. Um, and my understanding, and I don't know if this is true and you can tell me if it is, my understanding is that sometimes that abuse happens on the part of the guilty party, let's say the husband in our theoretical case. Um, and sometimes that abuse in it intentionally or otherwise happens on the part of the basted. You know, if you've made the decision to come to a basted, and this is my own thought process and feel free to interject as, mm -hmm. you know, you're the expert here. But if, if I've gotten to the point where I'm coming to a basted and I've gotten my husband there either willingly or less so, you know, he's, let's say there was no problems getting him to show up. And then to have a bunch of three guys I've never met, you know, who happen to be rabbis tell me that I have to be in marriage counseling for six months. Like that to me is, is adding salt to the wound that it almost feels like it's not, it's not the court's decision to decide right. if I should get divorced. It's just their decision to figure out how that should happen. So I agree with you, but we also have to look at who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a bunch of rabbis who in their minds, um, divorce should be the last and final and um, worst option. They do everything they can to delay a divorce because they feel that they're saving something if they don't, if they save the marriage. They feel that they're doing like the the duty, their duty, just like it's my duty to represent my clients and make sure they're getting the best possible deal and feeling advocated for, being advocated for and being comforted and so on and so forth. Their job is to do um, what a rabbi is supposed to do. And in their mind, that's what they're supposed to do. Um, I don't agree with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing them. I'm just explaining their side of it. Um, but but yeah, it, 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 well, the truth of the matter is sometimes it's not terrible because there have been plenty of times where I have clients, you know, male and female, because I do have both, um, who have said, listen, 
my, my husband wants to leave me. We haven't even gone to marriage counseling. I really think what, you know, what needs to be fixed is workable. Um, he's just, he's giving up. He just doesn't want to be with me anymore, but it's not because we don't love each other. He's just, you know, maybe past trauma or whatever. Um, he just, it's too much for him. He doesn't want to work on it. Um, or he feels hopeless. He feels that it's hopeless. And then they have gone to marriage counseling and they were able to work it out and they were happier for it. So I can't, I can't tell you that it's always terrible, but when it is terrible, it's, it's really terrible. Um, but I have, I have, I, I can't lie to you. I've seen it work to the benefit of my client as well. And I've had made the argument in Desmond that we need to do shalom bias. Um, because sometimes that is what's needed on behalf of my client. And I'll always do whatever my client needs within the best interest of my client. If it's against, you know, even if it's against, you know, what we're saying, you know, and perpetuating that um, we shouldn't allow the rabbi to have that kind of control. But at the end of the day, it is their Besden. And depending on, I'm not going to lie to you, depending on the case, I go to a different Besden for different things. If I know a Besden is famous for pushing Shalom bias and my client really wants Shalom bias, yeah, I'm going to go to that Besden. If I know a Besden um, is, doesn't push Shalom bias or they, they understand, <clears throat> excuse me, they understand you know, abuse, if it was an abusive situation or, the, or they, they get it. I'm going to that Besden. I have a plethora of, <laughs> of an array of Besdens for that reason, um, because it is not one size fits all. You know, rabbis are people too, and they all have their own personal experiences and agendas. And I need to use that for my, towards my client's advantage. Right. And I think that you, you bring up a great point here is that, you know, your job in this situation is to represent your clients and to do what is best for your clients. I think right. that there are plenty of people who would see that you are, who would see you as someone who is fighting based in. That's not what's happening here. Oh, absolutely not. I'm not fighting Besden at all. Yeah. I'm not fighting Besden. I am very proud of my work. Um, I'm very proud to be associated with a bunch of different Besdens, but they did. Um, I get along very well with a lot of these rabbis and some of these rabbis are real champions for women and have taken a, a public stand that they are, um, you know, that they are the champions of women. And I think the big problem is um, trying to work against them as opposed to with them. Don't make them your enemy because some of them really aren't. Some of them really do want to do the right thing and be there. And I've been really, listen, I've been really lucky. I, I, I have to be honest with you. If Besdins and rabbis were so close-minded, like some people say they are, they wouldn't allow a woman to argue in their Besdin. And I have yet to have a problem. Yeah, that's actually a, a really a really solid point that you bring up. Yeah, um, and I have yet I have yet to to encounter an issue where they've said get the hell out of here. If anything, I've been welcomed with open arms. That's that's really really great to hear. Um, if somebody is, let's say, coming out of an abusive marriage, um, and believes or or not um, believes that there's a potential for their ex to be um, abusing the based in system. What is something that, what are some things that they can do to protect themselves? Um, you know, like you said, based ins are made up of humans. They are fallible. They are also, um, not particularly strong, uh, because they don't have a police force. You know, if someone says something, if a judge in a, in a legal civil court says something, you know, that you need to pay child support, if you don't pay child support, you will go to jail. And that based in doesn't have a jail. There is no such thing as that. Um, so what is something that somebody can do to protect themselves from some of the, um, from an abusive partner within the based in system? Make sure you have somebody who knows how to maneuver that and how to, how to go around that. I've seen 
some serious abusive um, behavior within the Besden system, but that's why, you know, you need to get ahead of it. You have to know a, a really big piece to just like in court um, strategy. You have to know who you're dealing with, who the players are. You have to have almost like a profile on each person and know what it's, a, they're moving chess pieces here. So you have to know if I know that his towing is a certain, you know, will try and manipulate this rabbi because I know that they're actually very good family friends. I will make sure to intervene first. Um, if I know that this rabbi is very pro men, you know, and I have no control over the third dime that they pick um, and isn't going to really hear my, hear my side or my client out, I have to interject. That everything has to be done as if they're, as if it's a game of chess. You have to really, and you have to not be scared. You have to, if I see there's injustice and if I see there's manipulation, I will call it out right away and I have no issue doing that. Yeah, and that, that's awesome. I think that a lot of people would see what you're doing and, and you said that this was something that does not come at all from, from the basins, that you have been accepted, um, you know, you've never had a problem presenting a, a client in front of a basin, which is, which is really great to hear. But there are plenty of people who would look at what you do and say that that's not something that a woman should be doing. Uh, a woman should <laughs> not be in... <laughs> Sorry. I didn't even finish the question. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to laugh. I'm so going to let you respond to that because I didn't even finish the question and you're already going. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Rifki. I, you, you see how you're laughing right now? That That's the same thing. That's what I do. I start laughing because it's just so ridiculous. Okay. Like, I, okay. And know what? You sit there and you watch me take over the room and smear your ass and wipe your face all over the place. Sure. I actually, in a way, it's almost like an opportunity for me to show them not only are they wrong, but they're stupid. Um, and in a way, I love it because I love changing people's minds. And I love thinking, I love when they think that I'm a moron and that I'm just some stupid woman who should be barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, you know, and popping out babies. Good. Let them think that. But then I come in and they see that I know my stuff. They see that I will stop at nothing to get it done and to make sure that my client is taken care of. And and represented not just well and thoroughly, but but with the utmost respect and dignity. Um, when they see that and how professional I am, it's like they have nothing left to say. The 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 little facial expression and the little like the way that you just shrugged your shoulders and literally looked down was was very fun. I wish I wish that people were seeing that now. Actually, um, yeah, it's always funny because every now and then I have to ask a stupid question on the podcast just because I want to talk about it, but also it's such a it's such a stupid. No, I, I I happen to be. I appreciate you asking me that because as much as you know, these rabbis have been incredible towards me, and they have. I have encountered some morons. I have, and it's great. You know, because I look at it as an opportunity to tell them and show them how wrong they are. Right. You know, I come extremely prepared. I'm extremely thorough and I'm, and I'm good at what I do. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm excellent and that, you know, I have an edge, not because I'm a woman, but because I'm good. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. And you, sh and you should be, it's clear that you're someone who knows your stuff and there's absolutely no there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Um, right. there, I, I think that, listen, I'll be honest. I became aware of you and that what you do is even a thing recently because of the whole Laguna crisis that's been going on. Um, and that has been getting the rightful airtime that it deserves. And I, I think that, um, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> exactly, and I'm actually really happy that we had the opportunity to have this conversation because I'm someone who has never had any 
interaction with any kind of basin for any kind of anything. You hear all of these stories. And I just kind of assumed that a majority of basins were like corrupt feels like a dramatic word, but I can't think of a better. No, there are. Right you know what? It's true. You're not wrong. There are a lot of corrupt basins. I just don't go to them. Right. But do you, what would you say? Like, I'm trying to get a feel for like, of like what percentage of I mean it's hard to even say like what percentage of basins because any three guys with a beard are a basin so yeah it's impossible but but I'll tell you what has been surprising for me what's been surprising is for me personally that you know I I still can't wrap my head around are some basins who are on the more modern modern um part of the spectrum could be worse than the most Hasidish that to me has been not just shocking I mean it's just like what when you say worse you what know? do you mean Worse in terms of being there and championing for women, championing for women. Um, you know, I've had some very modern Orthodox people who you would feel would be, you know, free thinkers, outside the box, um, professional um, people who are just like, are you kidding me right now? And then there's some super Hasidish, the pious, the primal, the this, the that, and like so not like if you saw the support that I get for some of these super Hasidish Williamsburg people, you would be like, no way. And then if you see these like five town types who could be very not supportive, it, it's it's like this is a boys' club. We have to be real. We have to say it for what it is. This is a boys' club. This is chain smoking, black coffee, locker room talk. This is what you think it is. So to have a woman bust in there and act like she owns the place. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be like a shock. It is going to be a shock. And in some ways, the Hasidish, more right-wing lit fish community has been almost more accepting than the other side, which has been extremely um, eye-opening for me. Yeah, I think it just goes to show that what you know when it comes to these when it comes to these kinds of things that it's you're really talking about people. People make right. their own decisions and you really can't judge a right. book by by can't their judge. Cover. Exactly. That's, that's why when I get messages sometimes or clients or anyone will say to me, I don't want to go to that Bazin. Isn't that like a really Hasidish Bazin in Borough Park? I'm like, yes, that's why we're going there because they have a reputation. I've dealt with them in the past. They are excellent for your case. I will not go to a bezin or deal with the rabbi or deal with anybody really um, until I either, unless I know them, I know their, their history. I do my research. I do my due diligence. Everything is done in a strategic way. Every move I make is very calculated um, because to be honest with you, it's all about who you know and not just who you know, but your relationships with them. And on top of that, who, who they know. Right. So that's why it's a really integral part of my job to know who is what, what they stand, where they go, the whole nine yards. Right. What percentage of your clients would you say now are in an Aguna situation where there are women who are just being stuck in this divorce process and not getting their get? A fair amount, but I will tell you, I deal with a lot of Agunas because, let, let me say it like this. There aren't a lot of Agunas. There are, one Aguna is too many. But if you look at the Jewish population as a whole, there aren't that many. This is not a common thing, thank God, in our communities. It's just not. The reason why we're so loud about the 
more or less handful of, of cases is because as Jews, it's our duty to make sure that these injustices don't happen. And that's why we make a ruckus about these handful of cases. But I will tell you that I do have a lot of cases, but I would say that's because I, it's what I deal with. Um, I wouldn't say I have like all the goodness in the world or anything like that, but I definitely have a lot. Um, but again, it, it's not like, you know, we have a thousand out there. I mean, it's, it is a small number, relatively speaking, when it comes to, you know, Jews in general. Right. It's, and it's something that's also very hard to pin down because at one point does someone become stuck in prolonged divorce proceedings and, and, a, and, and stuck in an abusive Aguna get refusal situations. Like they're, they're, it, it, divorce it, it, takes a while. It's a fine line. Ripke, it's a fine, yeah, it's a, it's a fine line. It is. And, you know, some people will say, you know, why can't he just give the get before anything happens? Let's be realistic here. A get is a divorce. You don't give a divorce before you negotiate the terms. It, it's just not, that's not realistic either. You know, I obviously believe that withholding the get is wrong and it is, it is extremely wrong. It's the worst thing you can do, but we also have to understand that there's a seder to everything and that everything is in its own due time. Um, but it shouldn't be something that's hold, held over somebody, a woman's head. It shouldn't be um, used as a negotiating tool. That's also wrong, you know, but we also have to take a step back and realize that we can't put, you know, any man whose wife, if they're embedded in, is a get refuser. That's not fair either. I have plenty of male clients who want to give the get and the wife is the one who's making a lot of problems. You know, it's not just, it's not so black and white. It's not as black and white as people seem to think. Right. I mean, my opinion and is, um, and kind of always has been, and I always just kind of took this for granted, that you give the get right away and you work out any other issues in civil court. Um, that child child support and alimony and right. division of assets, that all of that can be worked out civilly. And it's probably better worked out civilly because it's you know more enforceable. Is that something that you wouldn't agree with? Depends. Depends on your personal situation. Depends what state you live in. If you're in New Jersey, you can sign an arbitration agreement within the Besden. What makes them arbiters of the court? It, you know, it's as if the Diana is the same thing. It has a whole same power as a judge. Um, and they can make those decisions. Um, you can negotiate, you know, you could mediate with your soon-to-be ex-spouse. Um, and that's why it's important to have proper representation. And if there, an agreement can't be made, um, the Diana or the Diana make a staff, which is a decision. And that's what is done. Um, and, and what they, it's as if a judge ruled it. So in a way, sometimes if you're in a situation where you know that this Besden is going to, or the specific, the specific Diane, the specific Besden is going to be for you. Sometimes I only want my clients to, um, to go with, you know, to sign an arbitration agreement. Um, there have been times where, you know, especially in Hasidish Besdens, um, they are more towards the women having more custody, physical custody the courts are of their children because they feel and again this is generally speaking i'm speaking about a few specific residents they feel that the child is belongs with the mother most of the time if i have a woman who wants more than half custody and feels that's what's best for their child yes i will go to that specific resident and insist they send an, sign an arbitration agreement so it really is to me to say yes or no is not fair it it, it depends on, on really on your specific situation that's why i can't just give advice you know, some people might think, oh, you just, you just, 
you know, you want to charge for your time. And that's why you say that. No, it's not. I mean, no one's actually said that to me, but I could understand if someone did, but no, I have to listen to your specific situation for me to give you a fair answer. I don't want to steer anybody in the wrong direction because if I tell you go to court, no, that might not be what's best for you. Right. It sounds like mine is a simplistic view on a very complex topic, which I can accept that Correct. this is not something that I know a whole lot about. So no, yeah. no, no, not you specifically. How would you know? You know, you've, you've right. never di- been through it. It's, it's a really, it's a whole new world. Unless you're in it, you don't get it. That's right. really the best way to explain it. I didn't understand it until I was fully in it. Right. Yeah. When I, I was, when I got divorced, I didn't fully understand it to be honest. What did you do when you, you got divorced? No did you have a towing? No. So what'd you do? I, for us, it was very different. We got married very young. Um, it was a very amicable divorce. It wasn't like a dramatic situation. Um, we agreed everything between ourselves. And then we went to the Besden and did the get. It was so not, everything that was done was agreed upon between my ex and I. So like you, you just worked out your issues on you. So that is a possibility. If let's say, if somebody wants to sit down with their soon to be ex and say, you know, let's divide up all the assets, let's figure out so, custody, let's do all that. And then just go to Basin and say, we worked it out, just sign on the dotted line. Is that a thing that so can I, happen? Yeah, but I really don't recommend it. I, the reason why I felt comfortable doing that is A, my father's an attorney and he did guide me. And I definitely, you know, asked him, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Is this a normal amount of child support? Um, so I, I, unless you have an attorney or a towing in the family who could guide you, do not do that. It, and in retrospect, I, I can't believe I did. That was like so dumb, but we're really lucky. You know, my ex and I are still very close. We're very good friends. Um, it's just, so it's a completely different situation than the norm. Right. It was yeah. extremely amicable. Yeah. I think the, the main takeaway from this is that if, in, in anything, when you're dealing with something that you don't know that much about, but especially when it's something as important as your divorce, get, get advice, you know, talk to the people who know 100%. what they're doing, get, get yourself the, the proper guidance. hundred percent. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with me today. Y'all if somebody wants pleasure. to learn more about you um, or learn more about what you do or get in touch with you for their services. Where can they go? They can go on Instagram. Um, my handle is the divorce specialist um, underscore Wait, the underscore divorce underscore specialist. And there I am. And 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 every Saturday night I host a QA um where I answer questions. So, you know, people know if they if they're going through it and if they need help, they could always ask. And of course, like you saw, I can always give a straight answer, but I do my best. That's true. And also, by the way, those, I have learned so much from those Q and A's. There's so much. Oh, thank you. Yeah. There's like, there's like, it, it, they range a lot and they're very fun uh, to, to read through and I enjoy them. Very and much. sometimes I get silly questions and I love answering the silly questions. And sometimes I get very serious questions and I love those just as much. Yeah. It's, it's good to have a little bit of sprinkling of, of yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Yael Braun, what does it mean to make an impact? Just do the next right thing. I love that. Simple and sweet and easy to implement. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, y'all. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Rafi. I really appreciate you having me. So, lovelies, what happens now? As I wrap up production on this series, I can't help but wonder where we go from here. I always knew that an Aguna could theoretically exist. And I really thought that it was exactly that, a theory. It hadn't occurred to me that this was something that can actually happen. Then in September of 2020, I learned about Rivka Meyer's case. When I heard that she had been waiting for a get for nearly a decade, my jaw dropped. 
you know, I had this realization that I guess the theoretical does happen sometimes. And I knew immediately that I wanted to have her on the show to share her experiences because I thought she was the only one. Even when, you know, even when confronted with the issue directly in my face, I was still naive about what exactly that meant for our community. I had to talk to the unicorn. So I did. (laughs) When I was preparing that episode, I did extensive research to be sure I was appropriately presenting the issue. Um, You know, I wanted to get the facts right. Every single person who I consulted or otherwise mentioned that I was going to be talking to an Aguna said, you know, are you sure you want to do that? We don't come out looking so great. And to be honest, I wasn't sure. (laughs) And I was nervous releasing my conversation with Rivka, but I still felt that her story deserved to be told. And I went ahead with it. Fast forward a few months, Chava Herman Sharabani comes forward and sparks this movement for Aguno. You know, we all start wearing pink. We all start posting. Rallies are happening outside of get refusers homes. And again, I'm confronted with this issue. And now I'm mad. (laughs) I am furious that this is happening at this level. And honestly ashamed that I didn't know about it until now that this could be going on and I would have no clue. And the same thought kept bouncing around in my head. How in the world does this happen? Who allows a divorce to go this far off the rails? You know, why aren't there better guardrails in place? And what can we do to prevent these situations? So I read and I listened and I let all of that stew for a while. And what I came to learn was this idea that get refusal doesn't happen in a vacuum, which is really so simple. Like it should have been obvious to me, but you know, sometimes the simplest things are the hardest to notice. You know, nobody wakes up one day and all of a sudden decides they're going to torture someone they once loved enough to marry. There are so many tiny little abusive steps that happen first. I got to thinking maybe if we shined a light on all of those little steps, we could nip this in the bud, sort of, you know, like get ahead of it. What I've learned over planning, recording, and releasing these four episodes, which all happened over a span of about 10 weeks, is that there is so much I don't know that I am clueless about. You know, there's so much I don't know I don't know. I've also learned that while the response has been overwhelmingly positive, there are a handful, but they are there. You know, there are those who who really don't want this talked about, which at first kind of shocked me, but I, like I said, there was a lot I didn't know. 
And that means that it's our job to keep talking. Get refusers are betting on this dying down. They've played this waiting game before and they are just waiting for the dust to settle again. It's our job to make sure that never happens. ORA, the Organization for the Resolution of Agunot, headed by Keshet Star, who appeared on the third installment of this series, keeps a list of recalcitrant parties on their website. This is a list of individuals whom a reputable Basin has issued a serum against. They are get refusers. The list is up to date. Names may, may be removed and put back on at various points based on requests from the wife, you know, attorney guidance, negotiations happening on, all that kind of stuff. And the name is removed immediately from this list once a get is given. My original intention was to read the names on that list at the end of every episode of Be Impactful going forward. I am recording this um, nearing one o'clock in the morning the night before I release it. And this idea occurred to me about three hours ago. So (laughs) I have not had the opportunity to verify with Ora's advocacy director that reading the specific names would not negatively impact any cases. Ora is very mindful of keeping that list updated and episodes of Be Impactful stay published forever which has the potential to create some problems. If the method for pushing someone to give a get is public shaming, the reward for giving that get needs to be a somewhat clean slate. We, I mean, I don't like it, but we need to offer redemption or there's no reason for anyone to comply. Keeping that in mind, for right now, I will include in my sign-off at the end of every episode the current number of people on that list as of the Sunday before the episode goes live. I will also include a web address where the most current version of that list can be viewed. If I get the go-ahead from Ora, you know, when it's not one o'clock in the morning, (laughs) I will start naming names, but I'm not going to do that without their clearance and guidance. We will not stop talking about this. We will not tire out. We are not going anywhere. This series may be over for now, but the work certainly isn't. There are currently 12 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant dash parties. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Yael, her links are in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. This is the final episode in this series on domestic abuse. If you haven't already, go back and listen to part one with activist and survivor Bayou Reyes, part two with Dr. Shauna Friedman, the director of Shell Task Force, and part three with Keshet Star of Ora. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this now so you don't miss future episodes. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.